Awesome. You guys sound great. Hey, praise team, if you'll just stick around here for just a second. Um, I did not preface this for them at all. If you'll leave them turned on too. Um, I, but I want some help with a song that, that I'd like to sing. Just real quick, if you know it, feel free to chime in. If you want a hint, it's on the back screen right back there. So uh, feel free to sing along well as if, if you guys would like to. I'll be there for you. That's it? All right, all right. Hey, leave me that one. Leave me that one. Anybody else know? When the rain starts to pour. So I wanted to start off with this. Now, I, I will also, oh, I st- I'm sorry, man. I'm, I stole your stuff. I'm sorry. So um, I want to start off. I, I normally don't bring coffee or drinks up here with me. But I have been getting over something for the last three or four days. And I tell you that today, I need to keep something warm on my throat. And if I, um, I have now taken on triple the amount of coffee I normally take on. So if I do a backflip off this stage, call an ambulance, because I don't know how to do a backflip. And it's going to be, it's going to be horrible. So, uh, but I, but I want to start off talking about, uh, Friends, who, who else watched an episode of Friends at any point in their life? If your hand's not up, we're going to pray for you, okay? That's, that's really important. So um, Friends, this, this TV show that was iconic, in a lot of ways it still is. It has not aired an episode in almost 18 years. That was the last time they aired an episode was 18 years ago. Anybody feel old now that I said that? Like, unbelievable. So... Let me give you a few friends stats before I dive into why I wanted to bring this up. Um, four seasons in, a total of 10 seasons, four seasons in, they are named the number one show on cable television. At this point, it was 1998, I believe. They had 25 million viewers who would watch every single week when the episodes would come out. 25 million. Um, in 2004, the series finale, the final show that aired, 52 million people watched live the final episode. Now, this was back when you could not stream television, and now you can. And so we've memorized several lines as a result, and we know shows and people really well. Um, Since becoming streamable, Friends, various episodes of it, has been watched over 100 billion times. If the show Friends were a human being and born on the time it was first streamed, that human being would be over 3 million years old at this point if you combined all of them. Here's what's really cool. Uh, anybody watch the HBO Max? They did a reunion show. It was like, uh, like a year ago, two years ago. Anybody watch that, the, the reunion? And, and this was really cool. This was really neat because it resonated with uh, me at a time in my life when, when I really connected with this. They put together a reunion show, and they would interview people from around the world who were just big fans of the show. And they said, here's what, they said, this show saved my life. You think, a TV show, really? But, but here's, here's the premise of it. Friends, there are, there's two or three kind of overarching narratives throughout the show but that nobody watched because they're hoping that two people ended up together. Yeah, you might be watching for part of that. But the ultimate reason that people watched Friends was because, like the song said at the beginning, I'll be there for you. 
And it's the story of six people who, over the course of 10 years, just do life together. And yes, some of them end up in romantic relationships, but all six of them deeply cared for one another, regardless of what the status of their relationship was. And so when they interviewed these people around the world, they said, this show saved my life because I was struggling with depression. I was struggling with anxiety. During COVID, the numbers actually went up because people said, I couldn't go out and be with my friends. So watching Friends was the closest thing to being with friends that I had. And there are people who said, I I was done with life, but I felt like Joey and Ross and Phoebe and Rachel, they were my friends. And so I am so grateful for them because uh, of what that show and that script and the characters meant to me in so many ways. Many of you might have a group of friends that you deeply, deeply value. I want to give you, I want to give a shout out to, to my, my group of guys. Do we have that picture that we could throw up? Um, these are, these are my buddies. Um, that's, this was taken like five years ago. Um, anytime I am photobombing a picture, that is the face I will make 100% of the time. So, um, my sophomore year of college, this was 2009, I believe, we, I get, a, we get an email from uh, our buddy Corey, and he's the, he's the guy in the darker beard, he, and he said, he grew up in Springdale, just outside of Fayetteville, he said, I'd love for you guys to come home, stay at my house for a weekend, meet my family, we'll go to an Arkansas football game, we'll check out a lot of local stuff in the Springdale area, and you know, he, he and his family were true locals, and we said... Uh, yeah, that, that sounds good. We'll go. And we fell in love with everything we did. Uh, and, and the things we did, Arkansas football, like I know like I'm wearing Arkansas stuff and, and Bo as a fellow Tennessean, he's, he's shaking his head right now. He's so disappointed that I'm not wearing Tennessee apparel at an Arkansas football game. And I, I'll repent later for it. But, but with, uh, we, we all go, we pretend to be Arkansas fans. Only like two of them actually are fans, but we go decked out and, and we have a big time at the game. But what's so cool is we get out of college and we do this trip every year. We get out of college and Corey asks us, hey, do you guys want to keep doing the trip? Yeah, absolutely. Let's keep doing the trip. So we're out of college. We keep doing the trip. Then a bunch of us get married and we're like, hey, do we really want to leave our wives alone for a whole weekend just to do this again? Yeah, we do. We, that's absolutely what we want to do. And, and so we continued. And then some of us started to have kids. And we we're like, do we really want to leave our, li- our wife stranded with our kids? Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. And, and so here we are. Uh, this is, I think we're coming up. It's either trip in November. We'll go again. And it's either trip number 14 or 15 that we do every year. And, uh, and we still stay at Corey's parents' house as if we are in college still. They still pay for a bunch of our stuff as if we don't have an income ourselves. And uh, what's so cool about this, though, is as soon as we see each other, a lot of those guys still live in Oklahoma City where we went to college, but um, one or uh, two or three of us have moved to other areas. But as soon as we land and as soon as we get together for the road trip, it's like we saw each other the day before. Um, There is a group text where at least one of us will send a text message to everybody else during the day about what, and some days it's about some sports team that did something, but there's other days where it's a really big deal for us because we have shared big moments in each other's lives. We've been in each other's weddings and and we have 
uh, that, that's one of the first texts that we'll send out is uh, after getting engaged, you know, we'll tell family, but then it's usually this group of guys we say, we're getting married. It's, it's this group of guys when, when, we're, uh, when we find out that we're having kids, that's a group that we text. But then there's also been moments when we've had some problems maybe with friendships, maybe with family, maybe, maybe in our marriages, that this is the group where we say, hey, I, I need some prayers. I, I'm really struggling. And, and we have had this ongoing text thread for a long time. There's actually one more guy in this picture, or he was not in this picture, who's been a part of it too, Andrew Gibbs. I promised him I'd give him a shout out in the lesson. He was really disappointed that I was throwing up this picture. So, um, but, but what is so special and sacred is we've all had different changes in our lives over the last 15 years. And I, I texted him before, uh, two or three days ago and said, you guys have been my constant friends through all of this. And, and since getting out of college, I've moved three or four times and they've kind of been the guys who we have, I've consistently kept up with. They've kept up with us. And we've had all these special conversations and perhaps you guys have had some of that same thing. But I want to focus in on the story that Kara read from in Luke chapter five. If you wanna turn there, you're welcome to. Luke chapter five, uh, that story starts in verse 17. But I find it so fascinating. Can, Can you imagine these four friends bring this paralyzed man to a house? And there's some scholars argue that because of where it was and when it was, that a lot of people believe it was actually Peter's house. And so you can imagine one of the disciples that Jesus was the closest to. They're meeting in this house and they realize it is so full in the house that they've opened up all the doors and people are standing in the doorways and lining out outside to try to hear Jesus. And these people, while hearing Jesus is important, they want, to, they want their friend to actually know Jesus. They want their friend to experience the healing power of Jesus. So they climb on top of the roof. And because of the way roofs were constructed during this time, it, it talks about, the scriptures say they took some tiles off. There was probably some dirt below this. So there's a good chance that they actually started digging with their bare hands to knock away dirt. You can imagine how thrilled people were who had a front row seat to hear Jesus talk in the house. And while they're listening, dirt falls right on top of their head and wondering what's going on. And they all look up and there's this hole that has appeared. And these guys lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Now, the picture of that has always been really fascinating, but can you imagine how deeply concerned these four friends were about this guy? We're willing to put a hole in the home of one of Jesus' disciples if it means our friend gets healed. Good friends, good friends do both the easy and hard parts of life with one another. The reason when you think about friends that you've had your whole life, part of the reason is because you have shared the really great victory moments and these really tough defeats. And that's why they're so powerful. That's why you want so badly to be around them all the time because they know you because of the life that you've shared. Now, I want to go back to the other divine encounters that we've talked about for the last, uh, was it, three, four weeks so John chapter 9 is when we encounter the blind man. Was he alone or did he have friends with him? Good, he was alone. Good answer. So, so he was alone. Mark chapter 10, blind Bartimaeus shows up. Was he alone or did he have friends? 
were led to believe that he was alone. And then, and, and I, I wanted to give a, a quick shout out to uh, Mark preached this, uh, this past week while I was gone about John chapter four and did a phenomenal job. Watching him preach through this, I, I really was sitting on the live stream and I'm thinking, why did they even do a search? This guy could do it. So uh, did an incredible job talking about the woman at the well from John four. But uh, she might have been lonelier than the other two guys mentioned before because of what takes place. But this guy in Luke 5, Luke 5 he has friends. I want to shift over to what it means to have friends and what sociologists, psychologists will talk about in terms of the five stages of friendship. Do we have that graphic? So there's, there's five levels of friends. There's strangers we've never met before, and everyone starts at that level. There are probably strangers here within this room. Then there's acquaintances. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm so-and-so. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And that's about it. Hey, do you know this person? Well, we've, we've met. We're acquaintances. That's about it. Then there's casual friends. Uh, these are the kind of people that you might see in passing. You'll have some good surface-level conversation, but you don't spend a whole lot of time with one another. Um, it's sort of a, we can hold these people at arm's length. We don't have to talk about anything super-duper personal, but we get along. Uh, people that you might work with, but don't hang out with outside of work might qualify as something like this. Then there's close friends. Close friends are, are the kind of people whom you're great with hanging out with and you're choosing to spend time with them and they are choosing to spend time with you. Close friends are what so many people probably in this church family are feeling with a number of other people within here. Close friends are the people that you probably have a lot of mutual friends. There's a chance your families have met one another and, and y'all get along really well. Your mutual friends get along really well also. And then finally, there's intimate friends. Now, psychologists, sociologists, they will argue that it is rare for any one individual to have more than three intimate friends. Um, and they said it's, next, it's basically impossible to have more than five. Now, and you might think, well, no, I can have that. But what this is talking about is the intimate friends are the parts of you that you are the most ashamed of, the parts of you that you don't want anyone to know about, the parts of you that you would love to not know about yourself. Your friends, your intimate friends, they not only know about this, but they safeguard that information. Many of you, at least I would hope, would classify, for those of you who are married, might classify your spouse as an intimate friend. But one of the reasons that they say, rarely do people have more than three Nobody has more than five, and a lot of people don't have any. One of the reasons that they say that is because you have to divulge so much information about yourself that that actually can sap energy out of you. Not in a bad way, but when you become more and more transparent as time goes on, that can take a lot out of you. And it's a special level, level of vulnerability that becomes really, really difficult and so they'll say it's rare to have more than three. Um, it's unheard of to have five. And a lot of people don't even have one because of what they're searching for in life. But this is kind of the five levels of what that looks like. Now, I want to shift to kind of look at a theological theme that was presented. If you'll go to John chapter 15, John chapter 15, and I'll read that. John 15, starting in verse 12. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, this is my commandment, 
Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Now, based off this passage, uh, professor of theology, Gail O'Day at Emory University, she looks at this passage and, and actually suggests that friendship is actually the theological epicenter of the entire gospel of John. And here, there's, and for good reason as to why she, she argues this, because if you look and think about the relationships we value across all cultures, there is one thing that pretty much every culture, religion, geographic place that they hold sacred, almost all of them, family. Family is really valuable, but at the same time, you don't get to choose your family. It just kind of happens, right? That isn't always the, the choice that happens. And I know probably you're thinking about that one person. You're like, you'd probably be better if that person wasn't in my family. They drive me nuts, right? There's always that one person that you don't, that, that like, oh, the, the crazy aunt, right? And, but with friends, you get to choose those. So Jesus perhaps says this, greater love is no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. She's arguing that this is the central theme of John's gospel because it is, when you lay down your life for your family, well, that's an expected thing, but for your friends, that's a different choice altogether to do this. And Odea will argue this. She said there's two uh, primary themes of this type of love and of this type of theology. Number one, godly friendship involves sacrifice. You could probably take that away from the verse. Greater love is no one this. Godly friendship involves sacrifice. Now, I want to go back to the Old Testament where this is mentioned, uh, where we find mentioning of a friendship. And in that friendship, we see something really, really special. First Samuel 18, we read about this guy named David. You probably know him, David and Goliath. But in 1 Samuel 18, David's reputation is growing. He has just defeated Goliath. Saul, the king at the time, was promoting him. And David gets in real good with the family. Here's how good he gets in. Not only does he receive Saul's blessing, but then in chapter 18, he becomes best friends with Jonathan, Saul's son. You'll also later read that David ends up marrying Saul's daughter, Michael. So I don't know that there is a better, like, good standing with a king than David, who's best friends with a son, married to a daughter, very loyal to Saul this whole time. However, Saul begins to get a little jealous of David because David has been too successful. David has been too good. He's been too much of a servant. And so Saul decides, I can't take it anymore. And Saul begins trying to kill David. Now, later on in chapter 20, David goes to Jonathan and, and says, some really, says something really difficult for Jonathan to hear. Hey, best friend, your dad's trying to kill me. I, I, I don't know what I've done, but your dad is trying to kill me. And Jonathan looks because he's thinking, my dad and my best friend, why would my dad be trying to kill my best friend? He hadn't done anything wrong. So he says, no, 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 David, there's no way. There's no way that that's taking place. Let me go talk to my dad. 
Let me go talk. And, and let, me, let me check with him. And I'll go, you, you probably just didn't read the room right. And David's like, he threw two spears at me. So I feel like that's incriminating evidence. And John's like, he probably just sneezed and threw it on accident. And there's no way. That didn't happen. And so he said, let me go. Let me go talk to my dad. So Jonathan goes to Saul and he said, hey, um, dad, David wants safe passage from this city to this city. I mean, he's one of your top servants. He's done so much for your kingdom. I would have just told him yes. Just want to give you a heads up. Good talk, dad. And starts to walk away and Saul loses it. It says, are you kidding me? What, are you one of his followers too? Do you want David to overthrow my kingdom? Is this what you want to see happen? And Jonathan looks and says, dad, what, what has he done wrong? He has never told me, and we're best friends, he has never told me he wants your throne. And Saul, Saul gets so angry that he picks up a spear, definitely does not sneeze, and throws the spear at his own son. And Jonathan puts his reputation on the line, loses it, almost loses his life. Fortunately, Saul was apparently a terrible shot with a spear. He's 0 for 3 in scripture. And, and so he's... And, and so Jonathan has to run for his life. He then goes and finds David and, and meets him out in the middle of nowhere and says a really difficult thing of, hey, my dad is really upset with you. He's upset with me for sticking up for you, but yeah, my dad's trying to kill you. And what it means for that relationship is Jonathan has to look at his best friend in the eye and say, you need to run from here. We have to pretend to be enemies for both our sakes, and we can never see each other again. And toward the end of the chapter, the, the text talks that they, they shed tears with one another, knowing this is the end of a friendship that we would really love to keep it going. But because of Saul, that just was not an option. But then in addition to this sacrifice, Galo Day writes that there's one other theme to this friendship. Godly friendship involves sacrifice, but godly friendship also involves frankness of speech. And this is not easy. But this is one of the ways that you know true friends are true friends. Frankness of speech. For, for David to go and say, hey, your dad is trying to kill me and I don't know what I've done wrong. And for Jonathan to come back and say, yes, he is trying to kill you, and we can't be friends anymore and see each other because of it. Or perhaps in John chapter 11, you'll read about a man by the name of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus and Jesus, we know we're friends. How long, how close, we're not really sure. But as a result, we're led to believe that the disciples probably knew who Lazarus was too, based off the conversations. And midway through this story in John, Lazarus ends up, passing. And Jesus has to share this news. John 11, verses 11 through 15. I'll read that. It says, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe come, let's go to him. Godly friendship involves frankness of speech. It is not easy to deliver bad news to our friends. 
And some of us have been there. And, and it doesn't even necessarily mean that we can't be friends anymore. We can't see each other. This person's it. Sometimes, and I'll, and I'll use my wife and I as an example, we have these moments, and we'll both own up to this, where we will, we will be ranting and raving about someone else. Um, if we're in a fight, we just don't talk to each other. But if, if we're ranting and raving about somebody else, then we will just go on and on and on. So let's say I'm upset with someone or something, and, and she's sitting there, I'm just going on and on about how frustrated I am, how wrong this person is, how aggravating they are, how nobody else likes them either. And she's just sitting there just nodding her head and not saying a word. And after I'm finally done, I'll look at her and I'll go, all right, I know I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. And she will calmly express this to me. And, and the exact opposite thing will happen too. When she'll finish and she'll say, all right, I know I'm going over the top. Tell me what's wrong. And, and we will calmly and gently say, I think you might have messed up this part of this relationship here yourself. I think there's a chance you might have misinterpreted something that took place. I think about the friends that, that I have that I've really cherished and that I've really valued. You know what pretty much all of them have in common? My close friends or even my intimate friends, they have called me out on the garbage in my life. Not, not in a mean way, not in a yelling or fist fight kind of way, just simply looked and said, this is wrong. This is not God's plan for you. This is not the life that God has lined up for you. And in order to do that, it takes a frankness of speech. And perhaps this is why we read about so many celebrities who have this thing called an entourage. You guys know what I'm talking about? Athletes, celebrities, they have entourages. And, and it's these three, four, five guys, literally, they don't have a job. That what they do is they follow this professional athlete, actor, musician. They'll follow them around, and they're always in the, in the, just right beside the spotlight, so you can't actually see them. But their job in life, without it actually being said, is they tell the celebrity that, that, that when they fart, it doesn't stink. It smells wonderful. They're the people who say, it does not matter what you do, it is correct. Well, and one of the reasons that they tell them that is because if they tell this celebrity you're wrong, the celebrity will cast them out and stop paying for all of their things. And so as a result, these celebrities will start listening to their friends who, who don't even have a job and never have and thinking, yeah, they're right. I should do this. I should go this direction. And lo and behold, we hear so, how many stories have we heard about celebrities going bankrupt, celebrities getting arrested or making some sort of horrible, horrible decision. And oftentimes what gets swept under the rug is that they have these yes man friends who said, do whatever you want, it's correct. When in reality, they don't really love the person so much as their wallet and what they're able to provide for them. Don't give me those. Give me the people who are gonna be prophetic and speak truth. Give me the people who are gonna tell me that when I mess up, that I have messed up and even more so, not only tell me I messed up, but they're going to love me after I have. And I want to go back to this original story, though, in Luke chapter 5, this paralytic. Now, we've talked about this before in, in, in Scripture. When there is someone who's blind, who's lame, who's paralyzed, who's demon-possessed, it was believed in culture that that person was cursed, 
believe, it was believed that they did not, that they had committed some sort of sin, and this is how God was punishing that person or that person's family. And yet, despite the curse, despite the sin, these four friends said, we're going to stand by him anyway. And they lower him down. If you look at verse 20 of Luke 5, I, I still think this is incredible. We don't have any account that this man who gets lowered in front of Jesus, we don't have any account that this man actually believed. We don't have any record. To our knowledge, he was very neutral on who Jesus was. The guy has no lines, no name, but we don't know that he believed at all because in verse 20, Jesus, when the man's laid before him, he looks up and the scripture says, Jesus, seeing the faith of the friends, looks at the man and forgives his sins and then later tells him to get up, take up his mat and walk. We don't even know he believed and Jesus healed him anyway. Even after the fact, he probably did, but we don't actually have official proof uh, during then. That, but what we see is that this man may not have believed, and Jesus looks up at the faith of the four men who said, you know, you were willing to put a hole in my friend's house for me to do this, so you clearly believe something about me. And he rewards the friend's faith by healing this man. I, I asked our church leadership, we, we had a meeting this past Tuesday, I asked um, our our elders, and I asked Cammy, what, who in our church, who in our church is a true friend? And they, they listed several. For the sake of time, I'm only going to list uh, uh, one, one of each. So I want to I start by, by listing who, who Wade said. Wade, Wade said, uh, I said, tell me who a true friend is here at this church. And, and I, I'm going to list one myself, but I, I'm, again, I'm two months in, so I'm still kind of getting to know people. But Wade said, uh, or at least one of the people he said was Mark Williams. He said, let me tell you something about Mark. Mark is one of the most down-to-earth people I have ever met in my life. He, he can joke around, he, he can play, and we can have fun. But when it's time to have a real, legitimate, frank conversation, Mark's the kind of guy who will, who will speak truth in love to people. And so if I am in the wrong, I, I don't mind talking to Mark because Mark's going to tell me whether I am wrong or not and, and if I need to hear that. But he's going to love me whether I am or not. I asked, uh, I asked Derek, and he said Melanie Early. Melanie, or he said several, but Melanie Early is, is one that stuck out to him. And this was, this was really cool. Way, uh, Derek said, when I think about friendship, friendship, when I think about my friends are the people who when I have to dig a hole, my friends are the ones who show up with shovels. And he talked about how his youngest daughter, Brittany, when she was still in high school, the commute for her when she was driving back and forth, it was kind of long. And she would finish one activity and she'd need to run home and, and shower, change clothes and get back to school for some, some other activity. And, and so she was, uh, you know, Brittany was getting flustered because it was, you know, 20 to 30 minute drive one way. That's a lot for a high schooler in, in Houston traffic. And so she, and so while talking about this, Melanie heard about it and said, hey, I only live a few miles from that school. If she wants, she can come shower and change it at my place. I mean, I'm just here. She's welcome to come by. And they said, yeah, that'd be great. 
And, and Brittany goes and she showers, she changes clothes, she comes out, she's about to, oh, thanks, thanks for letting me come by. And lo and behold, dinner has been made for Brittany in that moment. And sometimes if Brittany, if they knew that Brittany was going to have to just shower and just sprint out the door, it was brown bagged in hand. Just take it as you go. And Derek talked about how much that meant to their family, that, that Brittany was now able to be safer, to not have to rush and sprint through everything. Um, and that was this friendship that was made as a result. Uh, I asked Cammie uh, as well, and, and she listed several people, but um, she, she said Hugo and Katie Esparza. And, and I asked, so, so why, why them? And, they, and she said, we sat down and talked when we, when we had kids, and we said, we want our families, our children to grow up in faith. And so when we sat down, we, we knew and we agreed that was a huge, huge deal to both of our families. So we trust our girls with Hugo and Katie. And Katie and Hugo trust their 28 children with us <laughs> as well. Okay. And, and so this raising kids in faith is something so important. They said, we have this common bond. And so not only do they have conversations with one another, but they also are able to have these conversations with each other's kids as well. Like I said, I, I'm fairly new to this church. So I'm still getting to know people. I'm still shaking hands, still m- making friends. But I wanted to give one person who, uh, we're still getting to know her, but I, I, I felt like this was really important because of what it meant to us. So uh, about a month and a half ago, we, we close on a home, we move in, and so many people both here and out of town show up, uh, talk about sacrificial friendship. They sacrificed uh, their Saturday, they sacrificed being in air conditioning to come and be out in the hot sun and help us move a bunch of our stuff in. It was so appreciated. But we got a call uh, about the day before from, from Cheryl Parker. And Cheryl said, you know, I, I'm just not at a point in my life where I feel comfortable, like, picking up big, heavy stuff. I, I don't want to injure myself. But, you know, I, I do want to get to know you guys. I do want to get to know you better. And I, I'd love to help. So could I come to your house and line your cabinets? And, and, and I'd love to talk with you while I do it, but I figure you're unpacking stuff. Could I just come and line the cabinets in your kitchen? I figure there's some way I can help. I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and come to find out, she, it wasn't just she wanted to serve. She wanted to really get to know us. And that's not a, a super burdensome. It's just meticulous. And so you're not huffing and puffing. You're working at your leisure. And God, she bought the good stuff. It's the good liners. I, actually, I don't know. My wife said that, but I, I have no idea if it was good or not, but, uh, but my wife said it was. So, we, so she comes, and she really just talks and shares life and gets, and gets to know us and our story. Obviously, she got to know the house that, that we're going to be in, and that meant so much to us. And, it's, and when she left, Ashton and I both talked, and we agreed, like, that Cheryl and, and we eventually got to know Cecil as well, who, who holds the Cinco Ranch record for being the nicest human ever. And, uh, and we know, like, these people are going to be our friends at church. It is going to happen. Even if we didn't want it to happen, which we do, even if we didn't want it to happen, these people are going to be our friends 
here at church. And so many of you have meant so much of that in so many different ways. I'm seeing so many people who showed up to help. I'm seeing people who called in to treats while we were moving stuff in because uh, we needed a cookie to melt in our hand while we moved stuff. And so we were able to do that too. But friendship as this theological center of John is speaking to this frankness of speech and this sacrificial love because we choose to love these people. Our, our praise team is going to come out now, and, and I want to invite you to do something. Two weeks ago, I did something a little different where I said, why don't you all get up and talk about this one question? And, and it was kind of, Ashley, after it was like, I don't think they'd done that before. It was a little awkward. So I'm going to invite you to do this. I want you to take out your cell phone. This way you don't have to stand up and talk to people, right? That's the dream. So I want you to take out your cell phone because the person you might want to say this to, uh, they probably aren't sitting next to you. I want you to take out your cell phone and open up whatever app you have for messaging, texting, however you want to do this. But I would like to invite you to write a text to someone who has been a true friend in your life, whom you are not married to or related to, okay? Someone, coach his phone's out. So um, write, write a text message to, to someone and just say, thank you for being the friend that you are. You mean a lot to me. And, and I, I am so grateful to have you as a part of my life. Whoever you want, they can go to this church. They don't have to. But I know that there have been times when I have received a message like that that I really needed to hear that. And I can tell you how, how special it was for me to be able to write the text to those guys on that Arkansas trip to tell them how constant they have been in my life. Because I think about this. The man who was paralyzed, he would not have been healed had it not been for his friends, not his faith. So perhaps this story is one giant invitation. Perhaps this divine encounter is God's way of expressing to us, some of your friends, church, may never believe. But if you do, and you are willing to take a friend and throw them over your back and climb a roof and dig a hole into somebody else's house in the name of putting that friend who might not even believe at the feet of Jesus, then maybe, just maybe, we can provide a way to healing that this world has never imagined before.